0: The Ostomy Nurse Project Hello everybody, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to The Ostomy Nurse Project. As mentioned, I'm Felicity, your host for today. And I'm going to be bringing to you the first episode of a three-part series looking at three of the most common stoma types that we see. And that being colostomy, ileostomy and urostomy. It is so hot here today guys, I'm just letting you know that it is currently 43 degrees celsius outside For those of you strangers who are listening from overseas, I had to google it and look up the Fahrenheit version It is 109.4 degrees So it is sweltering here today, thank goodness I'm sitting in an air-conditioned room Um, My little dog Fenway does not cope very well in the heat so he's chilling out with me today so you get a guest appearance from my dog. FYI he snores really loudly so I'm going to try and edit that out and make sure that you can't hear it in this podcast. Also, just to note, if any of you are curious about living with a stoma in these high temperatures and want a little bit more information, I'm going to be talking about that in a future upcoming podcast uh, all about living in high temperature climates and what to do with pouches that may not necessarily stick or some of the skin problems that you might experience if you're living in really high heat. But that's not today, that's a future episode. Today's episode is going to be looking at the colostomy, and we're going to be working a little bit backwards, because the first episode talking about the colostomy is actually talking about the very last section of the digestive system. So the large intestine, or colon, is at the very, very end, so it catches all the food that's already had everything digested out of it, stores it ready to evacuate and have a poo. Now, talking about poo also, I do need to put in a bit of a disclaimer. These podcasts do talk about poo, and they do talk about we. So if anybody's offended, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend anybody. Um, And if you are listening to this podcast and you are offended, perhaps this is not the podcast for you. Because if you are listening, you may be a person who already has this type of stoma, and you might want some more information that you may not have picked up initially when you had it formed. You might be a person who has been told that you may need to have this type of surgery or you're facing the prospect of having to have a colostomy done for whatever reason. This is a great podcast for you because it's going to give you all the information that you need to know about how they were first created, what to expect when you have it done and a little bit about the pouching options and how it's going to behave once you have it formed. Alternatively, you might be a healthcare professional who works in this type of area, maybe in an aged care facility or a hospital where you might be dealing with patients who have had this type of surgery or have had a stoma for a long time, and you want to know how to take care of that person or care for their stoma. This is also a great podcast for you. Tune in for more. And if you are a person who has stumbled across this podcast and have no idea what I'm talking about, I think you've found the wrong podcast. But please don't go away. Tune in. You might just learn something a little bit interesting. So in general, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't really know too much about colostomies and I've got a big long drive in my car and I want to learn something new, then this is the podcast for you. Episode one of three. The second episode is going to be talking about an ileostomy and the third episode is going to be talking about a urostomy. So if they are the podcasts that interest you in particular, feel free to tune into those ones as well. That's the beauty of podcasting is that you can pick and choose exactly what you want to learn about and you don't have to sit through the rest to get to it. So moving on. This podcast, in order for you to understand a little bit about the colostomy, I need to give you a little bit of information about anatomy and physiology. So how the digestive system works and why they may choose to make a colostomy in the first place. In your digestive system, I'll give you a very quick rundown of it. We eat food, food goes into our mouths, we chew it up, we swallow it, and that food goes into our stomach. In our stomach, we crush everything up and we liquefy everything with all of our digestive juices and that then gets pushed down into the very first part of the small intestine and as it travels through this big long section of small intestine it has some water and nutrients and energy and all the goodness absorbed out of that into our bodies that's how we get all of our nutrition and then when it's finally traveled the big long length of small intestine it gets to the large intestine or colon and in the colon there's really only a couple of major functions that go on here the most important one being absorption The large intestine is responsible for absorbing the liquid out of the waste product that we have just digested. And so it will travel all the way around this big long length of large intestine, which is approximately about five feet long. If you were to lay it all out in front of you, it would be about five foot long or 150 centimetres. And as it travels along there, the more water it has absorbed from it, the thicker it obviously gets. So by the time it gets to the end of your colon, your large intestine, it is the thick, um, semi-firm or firm stool that we know of when we sit on the toilet and pass a bowel motion. So when we talk about colostomy, we're talking about a stoma in the colon. Colon is large intestine. And that's where the name generates from. So colo is obviously the colon, as I just said. Ostomy is just stemming from a Greek name for mouth or opening. So colo is colon, stoma or ostomy is an opening in the colon or large intestine. Now remember what I've just told you about the consistency of stools as they pass through the colon because I'm going to bring that up later when I talk about different pouches that we put on a person with a colostomy. That's going to be important for later on. But... Let's talk now about why somebody might have to have a colostomy formed. Obviously, the very first thing that people are going to think of is cancer. And yes, rectal and anal cancers are one of the biggest leading causes of having to have a fecal diversion or a stoma formed. And in cases where you uh, have too much damage to the very end of the colon, so that's the rectum and the anus, sometimes... In radical surgeries, like an abdominal perineal resection or an APR, those organs are removed. So you have no choice but to bring the end of the large intestine out onto the skin. Um, and we're going to be talking about in the short episode series of the Ostomy Nurse Project, the different types of colectomies or different types of resections. Tune into that one. That's a really good one to listen to if you've got a spare 10 minutes. So, when I was just talking about having a colostomy done for trauma to the bowel, that also includes things like diverticular disease um, and, say, blunt force trauma or perforation trauma um, where something penetrates the bowel. So, they're there for things like motor vehicle accidents, motorbike accidents. Um, And in particular, things like stabbings or shootings that do happen where the bowel is penetrated. And so obviously that damaged tissue has to be repaired. But whilst that healing process takes place, we don't want any bowel motions passing through there at the risk of developing infections and not healing properly. So that can be another reason why um, somebody may have to undergo a colostomy operation. Diverticular disease, not everybody who has diverticular disease has to have a colostomy. But in a condition called diverticulitis, um, sometimes if the, um, if the diverticulitis uh, perforates the bowel or creates a hole and bursts, again, the same principle applies. So the risk of infection is increased and that section of bowel um, will bleed and needs to be repaired and rested. So that colostomy might be formed for that reason as well. So diverticulitis, for those um, who don't know, is basically a small pouch or a sac that forms in the colon and it pushes outwards through a weak spot in the colon wall. Um, It occurs most commonly in the sigmoid colon, so the very last section of the colon. And if they burst in and become infected, it's actually very serious. So not everybody that has diverticulitis or diverticulosis um, will need to have a colostomy formed. It's purely if those areas... Um, blow out and and, uh, spill contents into the abdominal cavity or if they burst and bleed. The risk of bleeding means they have to have that section repaired. And incontinence is another major reason why somebody might undergo a colostomy operation. With incontinence, this can be caused by things like rectal or vaginal prolapse. It can be caused by genetic conditions. Um, so say, for instance, neurogenic bladder or bowel conditions or spina bifida, where the nerve supply to the bowel and the colon is not normal and so people are often rendered incontinent or going to the bathroom can be exceptionally difficult for them. So they may in fact make the choice to electively undergo stoma surgery as a means of improving their quality of life and that's actually quite a big incidence of why people um, end up having a colostomy done. There are some inflammatory bowel diseases that may mean that you might have to have a colostomy formed, depending on how damaged that tissue is. Some people may have to have either a temporary or a permanent stoma to allow that affected section to rest and heal before having it pulled back together and reconnected. And on that note, colostomies can either be temporary or permanent. With a colostomy, it has the ability to be reconnected if there is still rectum at the very bottom so obviously for somebody who's had an abdominoperineal perineal resection as i said there is no rectum or anal sphincter anymore so there's nothing to reconnect the bowel to in those cases the stoma is permanent however uh, we're going to be talking in a few episodes about a loop stoma or a temporary stoma where the bowel isn't completely separated into two parts they are often um, a temporary means to divert stool out of the body with the view to reconnecting it at a later date With the exception also of the Hartman's colostomy, which I'll also talk about, where the whole bowel is separated, the very last section, and created as a stoma, and later on can be reconnected to the rectal stump, which stays in the pelvis. And so finally, one of the other common reasons that somebody might have to have a colostomy formed is to do with radiation damage. Sometimes if the bowel has been heavily radiated or the pelvic organs have been um, treated with radiation therapy, again linked to cancer, the damage caused by that to the leftover bowel can actually mean that the bowel no longer functions properly. And it's so damaged that people often find that incontinence ensues. They may get blockages in the bowel and so they may have to undergo stoma surgery for that as well. So in summary, there's lots and lots of different reasons as to why somebody may have to undergo colostomy surgery. But uh, rest assured, when you do have this type of surgery, you would probably be seen by a stomal therapy nurse, such as myself. And when you have this operation, we do try to see you in the preoperative phase, so before you come in for surgery. Sometimes that doesn't happen though, and that's okay. Um, we also see you straight after your surgery. We start to look after your stoma for you. And then gradually we teach you how to look after it yourself um, and apply pouches. And we fit you to an appliance system that we think is comfortable and suits your body type and shape. And then eventually we also tend to do a post-operative evaluation. Uh, sometimes, not always, some stoma nurses will make a point of seeing their patient in the post-operative setting. And in this meeting we might look at remeasuring your stoma making sure that the pouch that we send you home in is still working, do we need to change anything, do we need to order you a pre-cut size, things like that. And we look for, obviously, how you're coping at home after having your surgery done too. Okay, down to the nitty-gritty part. If you are a person who has been told that you are to have this type of surgery or if you have elected to have this operation done, you might not know what a stoma even looks like because it's not like people with stomas walk around flashing themselves at everybody and saying hey look at my friend here so the best way that i can describe it to you is if you rub your tongue on the inside of your cheek in your mouth you will find that it is warm soft wet and slippery And that tissue is pretty much exactly the same as the tissue that is on the inside of your intestine, which is what they stitch to your skin and that becomes your stoma. The colostomy will be red or pink, wet, slippery, and it will be nice and shiny because it produces mucus. And that's a lifelong thing, it produces mucus because the inside of the intestine is made of mucosal cells. And that mucus becomes lubrication for the bowel in anticipation that there's going to be food and waste being pushed through it. So obviously it needs to be nice and slippery to protect the inner lining of the bowel, but also to be able to lubricate what's coming out. A new colostomy will also have probably some stitches just around the outside where they've stitched it to your skin. And these days, those stitches are often dissolvable. Um, So over a period of weeks, we teach you when you're pouching to make sure that you keep those stitches nice and clean and healthy, and eventually they will just dissolve and the stoma will heal nicely to your skin. And it's important that I tell you as a stoma nurse that Sometimes when you've had this operation it can take a while for your stoma to wake up and start working and there's a couple of reasons for that. Obviously the biggest one is that the bowel has had trauma to it and any trauma to any tissues in the body we usually get some swelling and that swelling can mean that the bowel can be temporarily sluggish or paralyzed as well as the effects of anesthetic. In terms of evolution The bowel is almost a bit like a superfluous organ. When you've had trauma or you've had anesthetic, the body makes sure that the heart is beating, that the lungs are breathing, and that the brain is functioning. They are the vital organs that need to be working in order for humans to survive. The digestive system and the bowel are things that can happen later. And so sometimes when you've undergone this operation, it can take a while for the bowel to finally wake up and say, Right, okay, I can start moving again. Often as well, you probably were fasting before your surgery, or you may have had a bowel prep, which is that lovely drink that they make you drink so that everything gets a full cleanse. And in these situations, your stomach and entire contents of the abdomen are going to be pretty empty because you've flushed it all out. You will have been fasting before surgery as well, which means there's nothing to be going through to stimulate the bowels to work. And so in the initial days after having your stoma surgery, you're probably not going to have much of an appetite to eat because you'll be busy recovering. But as you start to recover and you're eating foods again in hospital, probably in some nice liquids, um, some soft foods as well, your stoma will eventually start to become active. And you will notice that when it is first active you're probably only going to be passing a bit of dark green, dark brownish bile, okay? That's just an indication that the stomach juices and everything are starting to wake up and function for the first time. But gradually, you will start to notice that the output will thicken up and eventually, if you have a colostomy, you will be passing uh, soft, semi-formed, formed stools, much like you and I would if we didn't have a stone we room, were to sit down and have a bow motion, it would be much the same. Now, on that note, am I filling you guys with too much information? I hope you're all keeping up with me. I like to just blurt this stuff out because I know exactly what I'm talking about, and I hope you guys are learning something at home. Um, if not, write to me, tell me, let me know. Uh, the information's at the bottom of the notes page of this podcast. But Different colostomies will produce different output depending on where in the colon they are placed. So let's look at our large intestine, which is suspended in our abdomen a bit like a horseshoe shape. So from the end of the small intestine to the large intestine, we start with the cecum, which travels up the right side of our body and that's the ascending colon. It then travels across the top of our abdomen, which is known as the transverse colon. It goes down the other side, which is the descending colon. And the very last section of it where it curves around right before it meets the rectum is called the sigmoid colon. So when things travel through, they initially start out very liquidy because as I said, they've come from the small intestine and the large intestine will start to absorb the water and a few little bits of salt from the output. The further up it travels, the more water it has absorbed. So if you have a colostomy placed in the ascending part or the very first part of the colon, you will have an ascending colostomy. And so you could reasonably expect that the output that comes out of a colostomy at the very start of the colon will produce a runnier output than, say, at the very last section of colon or the sigmoid colon. So you can have ascending colostomies, transverse colostomies, descending colostomies, or sigmoid colostomies. And there's really no difference in how they're formed. It's literally just the location of where they are, and that's going to affect the consistency of what comes out. So that's important to know when we're about to talk about pouches. Now, I don't want to talk about pouches too much because there will be a separate episode talking about the different features of different products and accessory products and things like that. In this podcast, I want to explain to you the difference between a closed pouch and a drainable pouch they are really the main two different types of pouching systems that you would find on a colostomy. Obviously a urostomy pouch is specifically designed to um, drain urine so you would never put a urostomy pouch on a colostomy but colostomies, depending on their output and depending on what the patient might be suited to they might choose to wear a closed pouch or a drainable pouch and when I say a closed pouch I mean a bag that is all contained uh, without the ability to be emptied. And so a closed bag would be perhaps a single use closed bag, and that's what we call a one piece system where the sticky part that goes onto your abdomen over the stoma is attached to the bag itself. And that's a very simplistic single use pouch that some people choose to use whenever they happen to have a bowel motion, which might only be perhaps once or twice a day. And that's gonna be one of the highlighting differences when I start talking to you in the next episode about an ileostomy, how those two types of stomas differ because a colostomy will not necessarily always be active. Now a closed bag can also come in what we call a two-piece system, where the sticky part that goes over your stoma and sticks onto your abdomen is separate from the outside bag. And the outer bag can either click onto that base plate or stick to the base plate and that's what we call mechanical or adhesive coupling and that would be down to a person's level of dexterity their preference for what they choose to use as to whether we might suggest that type of system for them if they have a colostomy. And then you can have what we call a drainable pouch. Now, traditionally, drainable pouches don't always go onto a colostomy because as I've mentioned all about consistency throughout this whole podcast, if the output is quite thick, wearing a drainable pouch may not be suitable for some people. And one of my patients have even described it to me like trying to squeeze super hard toothpaste out of a tiny toothpaste tube. And the principle still the same thing. If your output is especially thick or hard, um, it's going to be quite difficult to be able to squeeze that out of a drainable pouch, which has um, an undoable opening in the bottom of it. And they are traditionally reserved for stomas like ileostomies or where stoma outputs are very loose or like diarrhoea. So in saying that, if you have a colostomy and you have got soft consistency, or even if you have got diarrhoea from a colostomy, because yes, you can still have high output from a colostomy, you can wear a drainable pouch that might in fact protect the skin around the stoma and it might be easier for the particular individual to manage in just emptying a pouch instead of having to peel one off and stick a whole new one on the whole time so that's certainly reasonable to consider and your stoma nurse would probably talk to you about this when they're suggesting certain types of appliances there can also be cultural considerations in uh, people that choose to use a drainable pouch as well on a colostomy. Um, In particular, the Japanese population tend not to use closed bags. They use a drainable on their colostomy, not everybody, but they do in their culture and that's probably something to do more with um, the limited space for waste removal that they have over there um, and the perception of cleanliness and being able to empty and rinse their bags um, and continue to use them properly. Additionally, if some people are going on to have certain treatments, so for instance, people who are having chemotherapy as a result of cancer and they have a colostomy, it's certainly reasonable to consider that you might need to use a drainable pouch because diarrhoea and high output is one of the side effects of those conditions. So you could have a mix of both, a closed bag for when the output is thick or a drainable bag just to use if you happen to have some loose stools or diarrhoea. So that's really enough on the pouching front. I just wanted to reiterate to you that your stoma nurse will have this conversation with you and fit you to a suitable pouching system that you are going to be able to manage independently when it's time to go home. On that note, I've been banging on about consistency of stools this whole podcast. Let's talk diet because diet is a big factor in the consistency of food and stool that you're going to be putting out of your colostomy. And the information that I'm giving you is very generalized because it's very difficult to say what foods will affect which people because everybody's different. What I eat and what affects me will not necessarily affect the next person. But there are some guidelines and general rules to abide by if you've just had this type of surgery. And the first rule is that when you've just got a new colostomy, the hospital will recommend that you go onto a low residue diet. And that's another word for a low fiber diet. And when when I talk fiber, I want to mention to you the word cellulose. Cellulose is another word for the fibrous outer skins of fruits, vegetables, um, basically anything in nature that has a cell structure or a fibrous outer core. Because humans do not possess the genetic enzymes to be able to digest cellulose we cannot physically digest those fibrous outer skins on fruits and vegetables but that's not a bad thing that's what creates the roughage in our system that's what bulks up our output and allows us to pass a bowel motion otherwise everything would just be liquid Back in the days of evolution, I think cows were able to digest it, and that's why they had an appendix and all that sort of jazz. But humans have just never been able to digest those out of fibrous structures. So when you've had this type of surgery and your bowel is swollen and it's had trauma and you're just getting used to eating again, the bowel is very fragile and it can be a cranky little organ. And if you go eating lots of fibrous foods or lots of stringy foods straight away after your operation, that's going to be very difficult for the bowel to push through. And we don't want to do that because your bowels already gone through enough. So eating a low residue or a low fiber diet can be of benefit to you after you've had this surgery. And when I say low residue or low fiber, all these years of people telling you that you should have high fiber bread, you should have whole grain rice, you should have wheat, all these sorts of grainy foods that we tell you to eat, we tell you to do exactly the opposite. So have white breads, white pastas, anything that's been processed or refined down to a point where it's going to be nice and soft and easy to pass through your digestive system. We're gonna recommend that you start off with those foods. Foods like fruits and vegetables, If you've really got a hankering for them, either slow cook them or peel them and stew them so that all that fiber is broken down before it has a chance to pass through your digestive system. So that's just some of the dietary advice that we will put you on. When you've had a colostomy for a significant period of time, you can eventually start to reintroduce the types of foods that you were eating previously, but take it at your own pace and start small. Until your bowel is healed and functioning properly, you may choose to to follow that soft, low-residue diet for a period of time and then gradually start to introduce those previous foods that you ate before. Now, there are foods that will change the consistency of what will come out of your stoma. So perhaps if your output is quite runny initially after surgery, you can eat certain foods that are going to help to thicken that up nicely. And I'm just going to run off a couple of them with you here. There's plenty that you can do to eat. And I'm going to do a separate podcast again on dietary advice um, for people with stomas. But just to run off a few, to reduce uh, loose output, you can have ripe bananas, marshmallows or jelly babies with gelatin in it, live yogurt, applesauce, cheese, noodles, boiled milk, starchy foods with white rice, pasta, white bread and potatoes, tapioca, other milk, milk puddings and some peanut butter. Um... Sorry if that was a little bit quick but basically anything that's going to help to bulk up and absorb some of that liquid that's coming out is going to be beneficial for thickening up the output from a colostomy. On the opposite end of the scale, sometimes things can be a little too thick. And yes, you can still get constipated even if you have a colostomy. So sometimes when you're wearing a pouch and your output is quite thick, the faeces comes out hits the plastic on the inside of the pouch that you're wearing and basically just builds up at the top of the bag and doesn't drop down. That's the thing that we call pancaking. And it can be quite frustrating for people who have a colostomy and that happens to because it basically pushes off the bag instead of dropping down um, ready for you to change it. There are products that you can put into the pouch to lubricate and help prevent that, but there's also dietary advice that you can follow to help thin out the output that's coming out and keep it nice and soft so that you can pass it easily into a pouch. Constipation can be relieved by increasing the intake of fruits and vegetables, eating wholemeal products, Um, Obviously not whole grain initially after your operation because that might cause you a little bit of strife. But um, wholemeal uh, breads can help to to, um, provide a little bit of fiber and help to loosen that up a bit. Drinking plenty of fluids is very important. I cannot stress to you how important it is to stay hydrated... Particularly in this 43 degree or 109 degree Fahrenheit uh, day weather that we're experiencing at the moment, you will get dehydrated very easily. So make sure you keep up with your fluids as a means to keep your output nice and soft. You can also try fruit juice or prune juice. Pear juice is a big one if you hate prune juice like I do. Um, That's also really good at stimulating the bowels and keeping everything nice and soft. You can even in some cases try a very mild laxative like an over-the-counter fruit laxative um, before you jump to anything a bit more invasive than that. Um, Make sure you try all those other methods first like your fruits and vegetables and increasing your hydration. That can often help. Metamucil is also a really good one for those of you with a colostomy. If you want to keep things nice and soft, it's a mild um, fibre that will keep you regular and keep things nice and soft so that you can have good soft bowel motions. Okay, enough about diet. Before we wrap up today, I'm just going to talk to you about um, some questions and answers that I often um, have brought to me when I do my pre-operative or post-operative consultations with patients. And um, some of these questions that I get asked are really helpful questions because it's not something that you might think of before your operation, but I certainly answer it a lot when people ask me. The first question is: is my stoma going to smell? And The very delicate simple answer to that is well yes poo smells we cannot avoid it everybody does it and I'll explain a little bit chemically about why we get the smell when we um, have waste going through our colon we have bacteria in our bowel we should all know that we have bacteria in our bowel it helps with fermentation and further consolidating the stool that we're about to pass when bacteria multiply The byproduct of multiplication is methane and that byproduct is where the smell comes from, that offensive smell of poo. Now we can't avoid that, however, I want to stress to you that if you have a properly fitted ostomy pouch at any given time, there should never be a smell coming from the bag. If it is fitted correctly, there will never be a smell all ostomy pouches these days that are designed for colostomies have a built-in filter um, which is often a charcoal filter which allows gas to escape and prevent something that we call ballooning um, but without the smell so if you've popped a pouch on and it's fitted correctly nice and snug around the stoma without any leakage there will never be a smell the only smell you will ever notice is when you take your bag off to change it if it's full if you are wearing your pouch and you are out somewhere and you happen to notice that there is an odor, it is 99% sure that you have either got a leak or you've left some feces on you somewhere. So always be mindful to check your pouch if you happen to notice that there's an odor. Evidently, there are products, again, that you can put into the pouch to help reduce the odor. Um, And I'll talk about that with you in the podcast about ostomy appliances and accessory products. But there are certain things that you can do to reduce or eliminate um, a certain degree of odor from a stoma. But we're all human, guys. Everybody does it. It smells. We just have to move on past that. And your stoma nurse isn't going to think any less of you if it smells. We deal with it every single day. doesn't faze us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be stoma nurses. Now, the other question I get asked is, can I shower and can I bath with a stoma bag on? yes yes you can again with technology in the bags these days a lot of the fabrics that they use for these pouches are water resistant or even water repellent so the adhesive that goes onto your skin is what we call a hydrocolloid which maintains the moisture in the skin and that gets a really good adhesive seal if applied correctly so you should be able to shower um, hop into a bath go swimming stand in the rain Um, Play under a sprinkler in this hot, sweltering summer, and your bag should stay relatively stuck in place. If you need to, there are accessory products that you can wear to help secure those edges, but most people get away without having to use them. But they are designed to be water resistant so that you can do these things one of the things we'd probably not advocate for you doing would be sitting in a spa or sitting in a steam room or sauna because the temperatures in those rooms do get very hot and that can sometimes affect the adhesion of the bag onto your skin especially if you sweat quite significantly Um, again tune into the podcast on high heat temperatures um, and living with a stoma in those climates but in general most bags are water resistant And if they get a little bit damp after your shower or bath, you can usually just pat them dry with a towel. Another question that I do get asked is, is everybody going to be able to see it? Is it going to show through my clothing? And that's probably one of the biggest concerns for people who have this type of stomas, um, is that everybody's going to know that it's there. And I can pretty much reassure you these days that... um, with pouches being so low profile and small these days most people can wear them quite comfortably underneath their underwear or underneath a shirt and nobody would know that it was there except you color technology these days means that the tan color or even sometimes coming gray will disguise that color so people won't be able to see it because it will match with skin tone so that's pretty much it. I hope we've covered everything off today for you. If there's something in this podcast that uh, you've missed or that you want to hear about, please tune into other episodes because I'm sure I will have covered it in the upcoming ones that follow on from these. And if you do like this podcast, you can subscribe to our channel on Spotify. It is under the Oz to Me Nurse Project, O Z T O M Y Nurse Project, where you can tune in every week to hear a new episode on something different. Next week's episode is going to be focusing on the second part of the three-part series, looking at different stoma types. We're going to be talking about the ileostomy, which is a stoma from the small intestine. The third part of the series, will look at the urostomy or ileal conduit. So again, if they interest you, tune in next time. And until then, thanks for listening with us today. We hope to hear from you again. I hope you've learnt something. I bid you farewell. I'm going to go and sit myself in an ice bath and try and cool down in this heat. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next time. Bye.